Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, a podcaster and awake in the morning person. Uh, also do special effects. I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst. And uh, yeah, we're here to talk about Miracle Mile. You're not saying what you do? No, I'm Subtle. too tired. We're recording <laughs> this at eight o'clock in the morning because Dan is a monster. So I am gonna. This is gonna be a, a more soothing episode than usual because uh, I am incredibly tired. The shipping news version. Yes. Shipping news edition. Yes, but uh, we're here to discuss Miracle Mile. Dan, hello. Tell tell them about Miracle Mile. Miracle Mile is a nuclear apocalypse thriller, romantic thriller. It came out in '88. Uh, at the end of a period of quite a lot of films about nuclear holocaust and the the fear of impending doom. And it was kind of the last one, uh, whether it was a death nail in that coffin or um, or or just that the, the mood was turning away from it, I'm not entirely sure. But what it did do is it... it that it had been quite a sort of grimy genre before this, like lots of misery. And even though this isn't exactly the most upbeat film, it's got much more polish and and glitz to it. Um, it's quite showy uh, in a positive way. When did you first see it, Sam? Uh, for this. Oh, really? Yeah. How do you feel about it? So I have no nostalgia for it. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit less than normal about this one because I understand that... Um, that uh, people care about this film very much, and yeah, it wasn't for me. Interesting. Yeah, and and you know, as as part of the prep for this, I actually read Walter Chaw's book about it. Oh yes, which uh, which is actually an amazing book, and and did give me uh, a, an extra appreciation for how important this film is to some people. It's a great book. Uh, it reminded me of House of Psychotic Women, which is probably my favourite film book ever. And, and yeah, like that book, it, it uses film to tell a personal story. And, yeah, obviously Walter really loves Miracle Mile, otherwise he wouldn't have written a book about it. And he compares it to some very important films in my life, including Tree of Life and Seventh Seal. And, yeah, it's one of the most in-depth explorations of a, a single film I've ever read. It's really beautifully written. Um, so I'm glad that this got me to that book, um, which I infinitely preferred to the film. Fair enough. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I wouldn't say I had a huge amount of nostalgia for it. I saw it relatively late in life. I liked... How far spoiler are we going to go? I'm not going to... I'll try and be a little oblique. It does a little bit of a rug pull on the audience, mm-hmm. and I always like that. Mm-hmm. It definitely suffers from a lot of quite dated aesthetic, yeah, which I think some people will love and some people will find problematic. Mm. I was closer to the second category on that, but I can look past it. It's yeah, it's really interesting. I think for the people that it really resonates with, it is because it is a love story rather than because it's an exceptionally good thriller right like sort of race for your life thriller which it very much is just to to summarize the narrative um because i realize i i haven't when you threw to me probably expecting me to do that after oversleeping for a date um because of a power cut in his building uh, that he himself was sort of responsible for um a man hoping to catch her three hours later at the diner they were going to meet at picks up a phone call at the phone box outside the diner because no mobile phones at that point. And it's a wrong number. A young man in a nuclear bunker, apparently, 
um, phoning to tell his father, to apologise to his father for some past wrong and to tell him that the, the world is going to end, that America's about to be hit in 75 minutes or 72 minutes with a nuclear bomb. And it becomes about, do you believe this voice on the other end of the phone? What's the risk-reward of not believing? Um, and as the news panic, as the, as the news spreads and people start to panic, and it's interesting to watch him like a plague rat spread the worry around everyone he meets. You know, do they believe him? Do they not believe him? There's a lot of him... N- telling them something terrible is about to happen but lying about what it is because he feels that the nuclear strike is unbelievable but he he needs them to believe him to be able to progress which often causes more problems but he is so enamored with this date that he's really only just met this this woman he's only his second date with her that he is risking everything to try and make sure that she gets out alive as well for this potential nuclear outcome yeah I i think it's really nice i think it's a good film it's possibly a little bit of a reach in some places, though it's hard to identify with some of the decisions the characters are making. Yeah, and and in terms of like, you know, this sort of, I guess it has a kind of magical realism tone, so you can kind of forgive some of the insane coincidences that are supposed to be quirky, but I don't really like quirky stuff. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, like, I don't know, man, like he... Like, let her go and let her let her die in that fucking diner, or let her not the, the diner she works in, but you know, like um, the old dudes when they're going off to have like a pastrami heart attack sandwich. Oh uh, yeah, and he's like, no, no, we've got to get to the helicopter, and she could have gone with them, and you know, it's just fucking depressing. Like his like controlling behaviour, you know under the mask of romantic love means that a she could have been asleep through it so he's woken her up so that she is gets to fucking drown in the tar pits right spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) just pissed me off Uh, it just annoyed me no fair enough i just think you know um see this is why i wasn't going to talk to you no no this is better (laughs) it's not better because um I think that a lot of people listening to this will love this film, and I feel like I'm, you know. Well, we'll put a spoiler note in the in the uh, in the thing, so we can we can. Talk no, about no, because you've already said the ending now. No, no, <laughs> no. I'm not. I'm not saying that people new to it will love this film. I'm saying a lot of people listening already to this podcast. It. I don't think spoilers are an issue because you know I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, like there's no way I would have listened to this if I if I hadn't seen the film. Oh, really? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. I think we we have some people who listen to it, all of them. Regardless, and well, well, um, I totally I'm, see your I'm, point. I'm about sorry to them, being... and I'm doing them a public service. <laughs> I think there's, uh, I, I totally see your point about the controlling thing. He's definitely, he's trying to protect her by not telling her what's going on. So there's a large portion of the film where he's holding the truth from her, whereas he's been telling other people that other things are happening. A disease has been released, or you know, whatever. There's biological contamination going on. Um, he's not telling her what's going on because he doesn't want to like panic her. There's a portion of the film where she sort of roofied herself because she took a, a sleeping pill and her grandmother's like, well, she's out for the count. So he's basically carrying her around like Sleeping Beauty. And then when she comes to, she's all groggy and he's not sharing the, the, um, sharing the truth with her. So there is a lot of him taking agency away from her, which is innately problematic. And you could say that to some extent the film is... Like, the, where the film goes is because, in part, because of that. Because had he actually just told her what was going on, 
things might have turned out differently. No, I just feel like, Dan, right, if in the future uh, Theresa May decides that the best way to negotiate Brexit is to incur nuclear war on the country... It's anything's a given at the moment. Exactly. And and, and I'm asleep when it's happening. Mm -hmm. Do not come and wake me up to tell me that something else is going on. What if I genuinely believe I can save you by waking you up? I'd rather die. Right. I mean, as much as I love you, Sam, <laughs> if I'm next to a helicopter and you're in Crystal Palace, I'm getting on that helicopter. Yeah, exactly. Like you, didn't, you didn't need to ask. Exactly. But I'm not... I, I, but I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about in a hypothetical situation <laughs> to illustrate the fact that... You'd rather die in your sleep. The decision in this film is bonkers and how anyone can identify with with this character and, and feel that he's a, you know, oh, isn't it? Oh, they they die together. Isn't that nice? No, it's not nice. It's better than dying alone. What? Having a lovely sleep? Well... I mean, I I admit that right now, sleep is all I want to do. (laughs) Is that colouring your... uh... Might be. (laughs) But, um, but yeah. Um, uh, Dear sweet listener, dear arrowheads... Uh, I am not a morning person, so you are, you are, you know, experiencing the darkest side of me. But also, actually, if I want to get completely, um, you know, raw about it and honest, this film is quite depressing for me for a different reason. Because, and and it's interesting that Walter mentions Tree of Life in his book, um, because, and his book is incredibly personal and um, talks about, you know. Um, his own attempted suicide and um, yeah it's a really really beautiful book and yeah I I, in 2011 um, you know and and also Walter talks about his his father passing and and kind of um, yeah there's some sort of quite intense stories about that in there and yeah in 2011 my own my, my dad passed away and in the heart of that, I won't go into too much detail, but um, basically I saw Tree of Life and um, it had a profound impact on me. Um, it was as as my dad was dying. And um, without going into too much detail, there was also uh, a missed phone call in that situation um, for me. So... And it's quite, you know, quite a traumatic memory. So that element in this film and then kind of the turn and then the ending, just, you know, I'm I'm not in the right place for Miracle Mile, basically. So to all those people out there who love it, I'm sorry that I'm I'm going hard on it. But, you know, what can I say? It turns the tables a little bit. Normally it's me shitting on stuff people love. So exactly. There you go. There you go. Um, And the other thing is, you know, it's okay for people to like different things. Yeah, and no, it is. Different things. It you're is. not condemning them for liking it, you're apologising to them. For no. You're not liking it, so I think it's fine. No, exactly. But my whole attitude is, and like, I feel bad when, you know, even on Twitter recently, like, I, everyone fucking went nuts for the new Suspiria, for the, the Suspiria reboot. I've not seen it yet. I mean, no, I'm, it, yeah. I'm not going to spoil it, yeah. don't worry. But I felt the need to put something negative out there to lower people's expectations because the responses were so nuts and I just think it's such an average film and compared to the original, it's not a very good film. Um, Like, there are some elements that are actually, you know... There's an element, no spoilers, because it is right near the end, but it just feels like 
there are elements of that sequence that were very last minute reshoots and they had about half an hour to get the footage they needed it's just it feels quite amateurish in places here i am shitting on another film but um, <laughs> but my point is welcome is, to uh, negative mornings Sam. yeah exactly that made me you know it made me feel bad to put something negative out there about someone else's film because it's fucking hard to make films like it's, it's ever since i've made a film it's created a bit of a conflict in me as a critic because you know, even bef- but before I made a film, I did prefer to celebrate the films I love rather than take down the films that I don't. But on the rare occasions when I was kind of forced to put negative viewpoints out there, it didn't bother me that much. Yeah. Now, I find it really hard because I'm like, you know, they tried their this best. This is someone's baby. This is someone's baby. They tried their best. It's fucking hard. And, you know, some critics don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's it's produced a, a significant conflict in me, especially with this film, Miracle Mile, where <clears throat> it took so long to make. Yeah. You know, the script was on the blacklist for a long time. The director cared so passionately about it, he bought the script back um, for 25K yeah, yeah. and then was offered 400K to sell it on again, and he refused and, and, and made it himself, and that's admirable, you know? Yeah, um, obviously really wanted it to be, because well, they were going to change the ending. Yeah, the well, it was, it, it was, was going to be a Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, it was going to be the twi- the first one. Yeah, exactly. And they were going to have an It's All a Dream add-on, which, I mean, that's not the way to fix... If, you, if you're not into the down ending, that is not the way to fix the down ending. No, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and God, yeah, it's all so fucking dark, isn't it? Because you bring the Twilight Zone movie into it, and that's a whole yeah. other level of darkness. It's misery. But um, obviously, none of that would have happened if they'd been making the Miracle Mile version. Exactly, um, and so yeah, I, 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 yeah, I do, I, I do feel extra bad. So, um, but I'll stop going on about it so, now and go back to slagging it off. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you? Okay, to 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 take this out into the more existential. Um, obviously, when we start talking about recommendations, we're presumably, well, I definitely, and maybe you, are going to be talking about other films with similar themes. Um, do you find yourself not particularly, like all of those films, the nuclear holocaust dramas and thrillers and whatever of that era are miserable. They're, they're all like super, super dark, super, super bleak. Is that just a, a subgenre that you just don't really have time for because you're not into that kind of misery porn? Or Yeah, no, that's true, actually. I've never really liked um, that kind of stuff. Like, I guess, I don't know. I mean, we both grew up in it, so um, I don't know why I had such a different response to it. But, um, yeah, there's something about it that just really, you know, it's it's overwhelmingly depressing, Oh, they um, are absolutely. Yeah, um, I've always and, and my recommendations aren't aren't like that at movies. all. Oh, well, no, there we no. go. Then we've got a nice a nice mix. Yeah, and we're not going to step on each other's toes. Yeah, I don't know. I think the thing is, uh, it seems, and this is most noticeable with horror fans who have kids, but tastes change so much as you progress through life. Mm. And the most obvious one is that binary switch when you go from a childless person, as I am to a, a person with children, as many of my friends are now. 
uh, and they instantly stop finding a whole bunch of stuff in horror films acceptable. Mm. Like they go, oh, well, no, I can't watch that anymore. Oh, no, what if it was mine? What if it was my kid? Um, and I wonder if, as you get older, the slings and arrows and disappointments of everyday life kind of mount up and you no longer want to wallow in the misery of fictional characters and your the desire for upbeat escapism sort of starts to come to the surface of your taste for films. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't say that I... Uh... I crave upbeat escapism um, and I love a dark, bleak ending. Um, and I also love, you know, films that are surprising and take turns. So on paper, I should, you know, I should like Miracle Mile. Um, one of the things on my recommendation list, which I, I've, I've put many options today because I did, wor- I did worry about crossover. But yeah, one of my recommendations has one of the most depressing endings ever that involves a nuclear blast. Oh, so you do have a, a nuke? Sort of. It's not a nuclear film. It's more like, um, you know, a twist. You could probably guess what it is based on that. Uh, is it that one where Christopher Walken's family are in a basement? With no, okay. So, um, <laughs> God. I can't even remember what that's called. Well, uh, I, I'm glad that that was your guess when, in fact, the answer is Return of the Living Dead. Oh, okay. That's um, wonderful. Yeah. So, um, See, okay. So there's an example that definitely has a down ending. Yes. But the but tonally it doesn't feel as bleak and as wretched as all of the nuclear horror offerings. Exactly. And it's really in yeah. It's in. I'd not really aligned those two as you know the subgenres there. But so many zombie films end with well, it's useless. You can't fight against it. It's an yeah. unending horde. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe that's one of the things I love about zombie movies as well. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I, 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 you know, zombies aren't real, so I, you know, I think that's where what it comes down to. You know, do you think it's just the, because it's got that veneer of fantasy over it, you're yeah. able to just chuck it off at the end of the watch and go on about your day rather than thinking, oh, for fuck's sake, it's Ex- all rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. This is going to happen one day. This has happened, and especially you know. as it feels more and more. Like we're back at the Cold War brig, yeah, with a madman with his finger on the button. Yeah, I mean, it's a few madmen with their fingers on various if, buttons. If you didn't grow up in the nuclear era, you know, it's it's hard to stress how fucking terrified people were, and like how regularly we were reminded that we could, you know, be melted at it any could moment. All go. Yeah, yeah, it could all go exactly. So. um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of admire Miracle Mile from a distance. If it had been a different lead character, then I probably would have been much more on board with it, to be honest. Like, and and also like, you know, and this is something that Walter points out in his book as well. And he kind of he, he actually talks to the director about it, and the director says that it's actually the element that he kind of regrets, which is that um, the the black character isn't great. Yeah, and he's a bit two D. Yeah, very 2D. And like him, you know, having a a trunk full of stolen car radios. Yeah, there's a lot of stereotype going on there. Yeah, and so, you know, that obviously makes me uncomfortable. And um, But, you know, when the character was written, it wasn't written with a race in mind. And, you know, he he cast the actor and and didn't really think about it. And then with hindsight, he regrets it. So, you know, there's that. Uh, and and also there's another kind of intention that I wish had been carried out, which was, I don't know if it goes into this in the extras, but um, 
the alternate lead, the the person it was written. Oh yeah, they they mentioned this. Okay, so I was going to surprise you with this, but uh, for extra features, mm-hmm. I, I'll leave it as a surprise. Right, I'll okay. leave it as a surprise. But you, yeah, we I discussed this on the extra feature that we've got. Okay, you know that I've also got an extra feature Ooh, still. I yeah. forgot that you had an extra feature. It's double extra features. There we go. That's amazing. Well, we'll 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 rattle through this quickly. But um, basically, the director wanted um, it was written for Gene Hackman. Yeah. And, um, yeah, rather than him meeting a a new potential love, it was um, him trying to get in contact with his ex-wife. Well, they Um, became, those characters became the grandparents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, interesting to see that sort of vestigial... Yeah, I I would have, and and God, imagine, like, yeah, if they'd have been the leads and if the film had ended in the way, you know, with them sort of making up and going off to have that sandwich i think i probably would have preferred that too um does it talk about his job what the character's job was on no. the extras no. okay so um and this is from the book but um gene hackman would have been a sound engineer and it would have <laughs> been an unofficial sequel to the conversation amazing <laughs> which uh, <would> <laughs> added an extra level in a very different way um so yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting film, but it is, and I it's interesting to hear your objections to it voiced. I mean, other than the it's too bleak, which I can you know I can predict from a a decent corner, but the the stuff about him and his interactions with her, I don't know if having him be someone trying to get back his ex, particularly with the age difference that was in that script. Yeah, I don't know if that would have made it much better. I feel like the the controlling aspect would have felt more. No, because I do you think, think it would be so completely different. I think it would be so completely different, and I think it would have been framed like there wouldn't have been much backstory. And I think framing it's it might have been potentially presented as more of a negative, like someone trying to you know get in contact with their ex. There's more history there, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in this film, I feel like it's being presented as some sort of romantic ideal. Oh, they're so meant to be that they die together in the tar pits where they met. And it's like, do you know what? Fuck off. And then they'll be together forever because just like the dinosaur, the tar pits preserved all those dinosaurs that we see in the museum at the beginning. Yes. Did you see the alternate ending? Uh, no. I'll, I've heard, I've heard about it. It's like... 10 seconds of animation. Oh, is it? That's the only difference. You just see them turn into diamonds and disappear off into white Uh, light together. Oh, no, no, I had... Oh, God. No, I I hadn't. No, does it have the deleted scene? For for anyone who's wondering why I haven't watched the extras this time, we had a disc to share between us and um, lots of timing issues. So I managed to fit the film in before um, Dan took the disc and then watched... uh, it's Dan's disc originally, to be fair. But, but anyway, you, you did went above and beyond and read a whole book. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. I think you're probably pretty clear. Yes, up. that's what. Yeah, exactly. That's what I use my time to do while I can watch the extras. But yeah, does it have the deleted scene where they go to hell? I don't think it does. Yeah, apparently there's a deleted scene where they go into a lift. Oh, um, I've seen I've seen a bit of the lift stuff with um, the guy from Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, it, it's right. So he's he's Satan, Which, and they're descending to hell. So there's a bit of that covered in uh, in an interview with Steve, uh-huh. and he talks about that they didn't 
I don't think they even shot all of it. Right. Because yes. he says very early on, he was like, this isn't going to play. And uh, he was remembering his film teachers saying, don't waste everyone's time, just cut it, tell the guy you're not going to use it and move on. But then out of like, he didn't want to make the guy feel bad for having come and like well, to act. And so he let them go through it once and then he's like, okay, we're moving on. Well, it, interestingly, yeah, in, in the book, in Walter's book, there is a different take on that in that the actor apparently had his lines changed at the last minute and hadn't learned them and was struggling to learn them and so it was it was difficult in that regard though the book also points out that this is a recurring problem for this actor so um there is a clip in in that interview of them in the lift together so yeah. obviously some of it was photographed at least oh yeah no yeah it was but um but yeah we it was, definitely it don't it wasn't what they wanted basically. i definitely haven't seen any actual hell um, but that doesn't mean that it's not somewhere on the disc. I didn't see absolutely everything. There is an enormous amount of there are enormous amount of extras on the disc. On the subject of the book, I should make full disclosure. Yeah. Uh, in that Walter did review Frankenstein's creature. Oh. And he did give it four stars. <laughs> and he's is that is that full disclosure or is that a lovely plug? <laughs> I haven't finished yet. Okay. He said it was the best film of its kind since Jonathan Demi's Swimming to Cambodia, um, which is how I found out about the book. Um, so <laughs> I still don't feel that that counts as full disclosure. Well, it does because people might, you know, if there's some crossover here where people are like, hang on a minute, like Sam's banging on about Walter Chaw's book. What if, like, what if he did some sort of deal with him where it's like, if you give me four stars, I'll talk about your book? That's not what happened. They so. But they wouldn't even have needed to because the book was mentioned for my extra features as well, although I will probably snip around some of the stuff we've already covered. <laughs> well, I didn't know that, did I? Did well, you I know, interview Walter? Of course Walter? you didn't know. But I'm just saying, you could have... Yeah, Sam's not on the take. Yes, that's, that's the most <laughs> that's important the, that's thing. That's the thing everyone has to know about. Yes. Because Sam's not lining his pocket. Underlined, underlined. And Walter's not on the take either. No. That's, that's also important to, uh, to point out. Right, shall we wrap this up? Let's do some recommendations. Okay, what have you got? Uh, I will tell you in one second. I've got the wrong file open on my phone. Right, um, I'll, I'll start yeah, you go, then. Go I'll start. So my first recommendation is a film by Paul Thomas Anderson called Punch Drunk Love. I feel like these films have a similar tone, um, similar kind of sense of magical realism. It, Punch Drunk Love is not my favourite Paul Thomas Anderson movie by a long shot. It's probably my least favourite uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. But, you know, even a bad Paul Thomas Anderson movie is a great Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So <laughs> if you like this old nonsense, you'll probably like Punch Drunk Love. I didn't like Punch Drunk Love. Well, there you go. I did like this old nonsense. Okay, well, thanks for uh, undermining my recommendation, Dan. What have you got? That's all right. But but then, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so I'm just going into Deep End Misery and Nuclear Horror. So my first one is Countdown to Looking Glass. It's one of the slightly more obscure uh, nuclear holocaust um, dramas. It's from 1984, so a little bit before this. It's very interesting format-wise, and although it doesn't always 100% work, I think the, the the conceit behind how it's made is so interesting that it's worth seeing. It's basic, and it starts with a disclaimer, although it still managed to have a kind of War of the Worlds effect on some of its viewers. It's essentially a newsroom covering the the last hours or the last days of America before nuclear war breaks out. Uh, it starts with a terrorist bombing that kills an, uh, an American politician over in the Middle East, and then this escalates the America-Russia situation until eventually. Uh, Looking Glass is the uh, 
is the code that's used to trigger a um, a nuclear response from a standby air air force unit. But the the thing that makes it really interesting is it's a series of false like fictitious news broadcasts, fabricated news broadcasts. But then in between the news bits you see the characters the people like the newsreaders the staff at the tv station all that kind of stuff getting their affairs in order and like saying how serious do you think this is or like you know we need to organize a car out of town we need to get to this place to be safe and so you're juxtaposing the cold professional version that's broadcast to people and then the sort of the the rising panic that's happening behind the camera Um, and it makes for a really interesting like sort of essay on like media and interaction with the public and how we're fed information and yeah it's a it's definitely worth a look cool it's it's not the bleakest of all of the nuclear horror um films it's pretty bleak yeah good right my next recommendation is uh, a martin scorsese movie after hours (laughs) um i feel like you know this uh, Miracle Mile kind of plays out, it feels like it plays out in real time. Obviously, there are, you know, big jumps at certain points, you know, a character falls asleep, for example. But After Hours is similar. It feels like it's played out in real time, even though, you know, it's it's an evening in a couple of hours. And that's kind of sense of escalation and, you know, in quite intense characters and a lead who's kind of out of his depth and is just kind of struggling to get through the night. I think it's all quite resonant with this. So, um, and it's an infinitely better film in my opinion. Um, <laughs> I love after hours so much. It's one of my, um, top three Scorsese's. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, it is one of his lesser seen movies. So if you haven't seen it, do pluck it from the wall of the video shop and give it a watch. Absolutely. Miracle Mile is real time after Anthony Edwards opens his eyes having overslept. Oh, From right. that moment on, it's real time. Because it was all a dream. Because it was all a dream. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that would be where they bookended it. I guess that's why they... Yeah. Ugh, that would have been wretched. Talking of wretched, 1983's Testament uh, by Lynn Littman. You seen that one, Sam? Oh, yes. I've seen it a hundred times and it makes me happy every time I watch it. I can't tell where sarcasm begins and ends in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> all sarcasm all the time. Uh, have you seen it? Uh, no. No. So, sarca- uh, uh, buh, 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 Testament is one of the ones that probably had the most profound effect on me. I mean, aside from Threads, it was it's, it's quite shakingly bleak. There is a bleaker ending, which I won't talk about. Uh, than the one you actually see in it, which I'd quite like to see. But I realise that my taste for misery is possibly right at the top end. It's about a uh, a sort of middle America town that hears tell of a nuclear strike that has happened over on the West Coast. And the main character is a, um, a mother whose husband was on the West Coast for business and she's lost contact with him. So there's a there's a pretty strong assumption early on that He's, he's not coming back. But you don't ever, well, you don't really get that confirmed. But they, it's about all of the people hearing about this terrible tragedy and not experiencing it firsthand. And then a sort of documenting of what happens as this invisible cloud starts to move across the town and how it affects everybody on a, like a biological level as well as an emotional level. It's got a young Kevin Costner in it uh, in a really fucking heartbreaking role. Yeah, it's pure misery. 
but it's absolutely fantastic. Mm. If you can if you can bear it, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I do. It has I do. none of the fun of Miracle Mile. Well, maybe, maybe I'll. If it's full blown bleak, like you know, one of my favorite films of all time is Come and See. Oh, amazing! Yeah, yeah and you know, there you go. There's an extra recommendation um, if you like depressing stuff, and like <laughs> Son of Saul. Like I, I do love, I do love depressing stuff, but oh, it's just man. something about maybe it's something about this mixture. It is a peculiar mixture. That doesn't and it, work and for it me. is the it's the it's the only one of these really that goes glossy Hollywood romance, but with the backdrop of the nuclear annihilation, rather than just getting like wading in and splashing around in the misery. Yeah, and it is it does make for a weird juxtaposition. It does. Also, an addendum to uh, my previous full disclosure. Uh, I actually got three and a half stars for Frankenstein's Creature from Walter. However, because he rates out of four, that counts as a four star. And it's easier to understand when someone says you got four stars because <laughs> most people rate out of five. So <laughs> rather than saying three and a half, I said four. That's good. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, not, a, I'm not a hack fraud. Uh, right, good. Shall we move on to recommendations over the past couple of weeks? Yeah, what have you seen, Sam? I have seen... So uh, my first recommendation is uh, a film uh, made by a friend and starring a friend. Uh, it's called Fractured, and it's available for free on Amazon Prime now if you subscribe to Amazon Prime. And it's a film that uh, a lovely man I know named Dan did some work <laughs> on. And yeah, I really like Fractured. It's beautifully structured. There's a uh, one of my favourite scenes of the year, uh, which takes place in a car. You'll know it when you see it. Um, it's a lovely sort of British indie made on a super low budget in a super short space of time uh, in super limited locations. And I feel that it's good to shine a light on uh, films like this from upcoming indie filmmakers in the UK. Yeah. And you can watch it for free on Amazon. And it stars April Pearson, who's great, and directed by Jamie Patterson, who's already done millions of films and will go on to do millions more, millions I'm more sure. Films. Yeah, yeah. I, he's we already finished up the, the, the follow-up to this. I think maybe he's done two features I, since I, this. I think, he's well. done, I think he's on his third feature since, since this. Like, it, he just... Churns them out. Yeah, exactly. And I, I really admire that. Obviously, you know, I love Fassbinder and he rattled them out at quite a pace. So um I will never I will never be like that. I think, yeah. you know, it's gonna take me a while between films. So I always admire people that can just, you know plow through plow through and, and churn out as many as possible. So yeah, fractured, it's on Amazon yes. Prime for free now. Um and it's you know, it's short as well, it's under an hour and a half. So I also like that. A tidy watch. Yes. Dan, what have you got? Well, talking of Fassbender. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, not that's in, woken me up. Not in a directing role, in an oh, acting for role. Fuck's sake. <laughs> it's Wolf Grimm's Kamikaze 89. Amazing. Uh, from 1982. Uh, shares a composer with Miracle Mile in the Tangerine Dream did the score. Nice. It was, I watched it. I watched it for the first time recently. I had wanted to watch it anyway, but it got shuffled up my list because of the Tangerine Dream connection in case it... And it's a, and it's sci-fi as well. Uh, and I wondered if maybe it could be a, rec a contextual recommendation. It cannot, it, but it's definitely a watch it recommendation. It's, un it's unbelievable. It's absolutely insane. The, the two 
just as Miracle Mile is the the bleakness of the nuclear horror and the the sort of the the warm glitzy comfort of a Hollywood love story, this is a sort of it's a German high concept sci fi comedy plus a gumshoe detective uh, mystery. Uh, it's set in a near future dystopia. It was made in eighty two and it's set in eighty nine. Uh, Germany is the most powerful country in the world <clears throat> and um, and is ruled over by a corporation. There's loads and loads of new rules and regulations to keep everything everything going the way the government want. Uh, and there's only one TV channel. There's full control of the media. The, the only thing on the TV channel for the bulk of the movie is a laughing competition that seems to have been going on for several days. Um, and it's only later on in the film that one of them just makes in uh, one of the government makes an aside saying oh this this female character in the laughing competition i think she's gonna win she won the sobbing competition <laughs> last year so they're obviously just like it's just about factory production of human emotion mm. the costumes are something to behold it was Fassbender's last acting role before yeah he died. there's a lot of um there's a lot of photos from this film on google image um, yes he wears quite a distinctive costume he, in it yeah uh, and he has a matching car interior and gun yeah, amazing. <laughs> that matches suit yeah but like all of the characters have amazing costumes as well um franco nero is in it uh, and he's got an amazing like his look is incredible that yeah the whole thing's bananas maybe a little over long probably lose about 10 minutes from it without it negatively impacting the film it's about an hour and 50 i think ah come on let him have it yeah um, yeah absolutely i'm not gonna not gonna complain it's definitely worth a watch um i when i watched it i it's a two disc uh box set that i picked up from the states and it was one of those ones where the little cardboard insert uh covered the second disc so when i opened it i only saw the one disc so i pull out the disc stick it in the machine and about I get about five minutes in, and I'm like, this is this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> Unless this is also Wolf Grimm's last film, <laughs> and the, and he didn't finish it, and they're bookending it with a little bit about Wolf Grimm and the film going unfinished. This no, this doesn't. No, I'd put in the second disc, which was a documentary about Wolf Grimm dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like him making peace, oh, and it's Dad. so fucking odd that experience <laughs> where you're, you're expecting a sort of paunchy leopard print suit wearing gun toting. Uh, gumshoe rocking around a sort of brutalist dystopian Germany and you get like the friends and family of a celebrated German director coming together to tell him how much of an impact he had on their lives. Do you think it was a similar <laughs> intro like do you think it was like the disaster artist where basically it cold opens with those uh, talking head interviews and then it goes into the film is that is that how you felt? Yeah, yeah I mean well except that in this instance the director hadn't deftly bookended it meant that I had to scrabble up off the sofa and change the discs <laughs> around and I was like there's no way this is what I'm meant to be watching amazing <laughs> but yeah um, see if you can track it down it's good yeah cool excellent my uh, second recommendation is one that potentially a lot of people will have seen already but imagine if you haven't uh, I revisited Wild Strawberries recently and so uh, it was actually uh, on the big screen and so um it's the first time I've watched it probably in about 10 years. And if you want to talk bleak, that's bleak, but in the most beautiful way. If you haven't seen it, kind of imagine an existential uh, or more existential Christmas carol. It's, it's essentially about um, a professor who's going on a road trip um, to receive um, commendation 
uh, and he sort of revisits areas of his past and is presented with visions of that past. It also involves dream sequences, uh, which sort of almost doesn't quite tie it to Miracle Mile because uh, that film doesn't feature dream sequences. Uh, but they're amazing dream sequences and they kind of fit into my theory that Ingmar Bergman was actually uh, one of the greatest horror directors of all time. And for some reason, no one talks about him in that way. But especially the first dream sequence in Wild Strawberries, if you're a horror fan, it's um, it's pretty intense. And almost Twilight Zone, actually. So it, it kind of does work in a way. But not that I'm recommending it based on Miracle Mar. I'm recommending it based on the past couple of weeks. And if you haven't <laughs> seen it in the past couple of weeks or in the past couple of decades of your life, then I recommend you prioritizing this movie. It is fucking amazing because of it, course it is. Where did it screen? Uh, it screened in Totnes. Um, wow. There you go. Here's a shout out to the Totnesians. Um, there's an amazing, amazing uh, new indie cinema that's opened there. Um, it's basically, it's got like a bar in front of the screen that shuts down um, before the movie plays. Um, exciting. And it's playing like Night of the Hunter was there recently. They're doing a Bergman season at the moment. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and uh, Last Picture Show, um, but also new stuff. So they've got Cold War coming up. Um, yeah, it's a, a lovely, lovely indie cinema uh, of which everybody should support if we have any Tottenhamian listeners. We probably don't. No, we might do. Might do. Hello. Hello to you. Hello. Um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> My, I was slightly torn about. I'm this. not from Totnes, by the way. Full disclosure. <laughs> I was just visiting. You're doing all of the disclosure today. <laughs> <laughs> I was torn about my second recommendation. So I had uh, the lovely actor James Swanton uh, staying with me recently, uh, star of Frankenstein's Creature, and, yes, and other other things. Well, not on film yet, but hmm? not on film yet, but. Not star of other things on film yet, but he will p- performer in other things and star of things in theatre. So yes, yeah. uh, fantastic actor and lovely man. And uh, um, he every night that he was with us, he joined me for a film. Lovely. And uh, we picked some weird stuff. It was I'm trying to I was trying to work out which one of the ones that we saw I wanted to talk about. Uh, I'm just going to say Devil's Sword, uh, Ratna Tamar uh, from 1984. Mondo Macabre put it out on DVD. Uh, it doesn't have a Blu-ray uh, yet. It's uh, Barry Prima. So f- to those of you who know who Barry Prima is, I've already recommended a couple of Barry Prima films, I think, over the over the time. It's Pretty Bananas. It's about a magical sword that a crocodile woman wants to get hold of because it'll allow her to enslave mankind. And with uh, she sends out her crocodile warriors to go and retrieve it. Barry Prima's character is not going to let that happen, so it's a fight. It's got uh, it's got a little bit of a House of Trapsy kind of feel when they get into the caverns where the swords held. Um, it's got some full-on bonkers wire work, men dressed as crocodiles, an inexplicable Grim Reaper running some kind of ferry service. It's absolutely fantastic. Again, maybe a shade too long, but it's fantastic. I feel like this is peak recommendations for us. Like This is like... Maybe not peak, but like the definitive, that's what I mean, definitive recommendations first. Like the fact that, you know... We have distilled our our personalities into four films. Yeah, pretty much, (laughs) yeah. Like um, a UK indie, 
couple of cool art housey things and a bonkers crocodile warrior <laughs> martial arts movie. I love it. And then a slice of bleak at the top. There we go. Right, so extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Who wants to go first? Extra you go features. First. Okay. Uh, no, I'll go first yeah. because mine's mine's. It, I don't. I don't. You've told me what yours is, and now I've forgotten because we've our, our recording schedule is so bananas at the moment. I mean, right. This. Uh, okay. Dear sweet listener, dear Arrowheads, hopefully you recall that for the past two episodes... This is more of this. It's more of this. Oh, cool, okay. Yeah, so it's the final instalment of uh, the chat with uh, Panos Cosmatos. The film will be in cinemas as you listen to this. It came out on Friday and it's going to be on Blu-ray on October 29th and VOD and all that kind of stuff, but just get it on Blu-ray. So yeah, I actually uh, spoke to Panos in depth about a specific scene in the movie. Um, It's not a spoiler, it's in the trailer. And he made a very interesting uh, reveal, which I haven't seen anywhere else, um, about why he chose to move the camera in a certain way. So here's a little bit of that. I'd like to talk about the, the bathroom scene specifically. Yeah. Um, because not not only is obviously Cage incredible in that scene, it feels like he moves from, you know, um, like it's leaving Las Vegas, but it's also Vampire's Kiss. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's the whole range. Yeah. But also in terms of the camera, because um, the way your camera moves in that scene is really unique and unusual. Yeah. Like there's a little sort of move that is quite unexpected. Can you, can you talk about getting that sequence? Well, I decided I wanted to just shoot it like a like a one yeah. wide shot static, like a like like a theater of the absurd, exactly. one yeah. act play kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just to heighten that sort of sense of isolation of you know, and 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 uh, but uh, the weird camera move is because you know we, we just wanted to track in on him, but yeah. when he was when he was rifling the towels out of the out of the drawer, yeah. one of the towels went on the on the dolly track. So Ben hit the hit the towel and was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> reached down and pulled it out. And <laughs> so, but I was like, "Fuck it, fuck it! I don't care. It was the right. It was, it was a perfect. It was the best take. So, I don't care about the dolly fuck and up." Weirdly, like it doesn't feel like a fuck up. It yeah. feels like yeah. an intentional, like just something unexpected yeah. Yeah. within that moment. Yeah. Um, that's such an amazing sequence. I, 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 you know, I like things like that in a film. Uh, it goes against what I call it, the tyranny of perfection. You know, yes, where everything is very sterile these days and yes. perfectly crafted to a suffocating degree. You yeah, know? absolutely. And so, can you talk a little bit about the special effects? Um, sure. So, so like those sort of drug-induced sequences, right? Because they're not like anything I've seen before. Um, no. How, no. Yeah. How, how long did it take to achieve that? Because it's part of the trance dynamic. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. Uh, are you talking about the scene in the living room with all the yeah, hotel? Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a very simple process that, you know, but I knew, that, you know, I knew that it would be very effective. That's just a, that's just layering of different layers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very basic principle, you know. So was it, um, so you used dissolves, you layered stuff on top of each other and... Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It just looks beautiful. So, was some of that actually accidental? Then was it? Uh, no, no. It was, it was very or- organized. You know, right. I mean, it was it was it was done by the effects, the VFX team. Right. Um, you know, but that the the principle behind it is quite simple. But yeah. they, they I think they did a great job. Um, 
yeah, I wanted it to feel very soft, right. which really kind of like, uh, in, you know, it uh, seduces you in, yeah. even though what's happening is quite unsettling, you yeah, know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and with the music as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a really intense sequence. And are you a Rob Zombie fan at all? Because I feel like this yeah. is almost like an elevated Rob Zombie film, if you don't mind me saying that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of have a bit of a love-hate relationship with him. Yeah. Um, in that I think that he's capable of amazing things. Yeah. But then he also has some aesthetic preoccupations that rub me the wrong way. Right. But I admire him. I think he's a talented guy. Yeah. And uh, I enjoy his music from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I'm, I'm from Arrow Video, so... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So we do... Um, it's for the podcast, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, are there any Arrow Video titles that, that, that you love, that you have in your own collection? Dude, i got so many, I don't even know where to start. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, I, I think I have all of them, so I, don't even, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I've just bought so many lately, too, but, uh, yeah. I can't, it's embarrassing. I can't name one off the top of my head. Because no, no, it's fine. Um, but this definitely feels like yeah, yeah. a film by someone who does yeah. like our movies. Yeah, I was saying, I was saying to uh, the producer of the day, let's try to get this released on uh, on Arrow. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll talk to them because yeah. that yeah. would be incredible. It's yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I love what you guys do. Yeah. Love it. Great. Yeah, I think um, you guys are the best thing going right now. Thank you. That's really good to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah it, it feels like this film is so many different movies from my childhood. Like it yeah. felt like it's as weird as the film is. It felt like it's speaking yeah. directly to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I made it for my friends, you know, in a way. Yeah. Right. These films I kind of make for my for my friends and. Hopefully there's more people like my friends out there, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what's next for you? I know you like to, to spend a lot of time in pre- pre-production, yeah. preparing. What, what are you thinking about doing next? I don't know. I, I haven't decided. I right. need to take some time to breathe and uh, yeah. meditate on what, what I want to put my energy into next. And, and I have some ideas, but nothing, certainly. And so... Um, Someone like Tarkovsky made seven movies. Yeah. Um, do you have any idea of what kind of number that you'd like to do? <laughs> um, you know, Tarantino says he's giving up after ten. Yeah. Um, you've made two incredible films. Yeah. Um, I never expected to make one. Right. I was happy to die after one. <laughs> right. Two is like a cherry on top. Yeah. Uh, three is a nice round number. Yeah. If okay. I can, if I can get to three before I, fucking. By the farm, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, a three would be nice, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I could live with three. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. And um, uh, your producer talks about you um, being sort of Kubrickian, uh, right? In terms of the level of yeah, no pressure. <laughs> I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> You're not helping. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> where, where does that come from? Is it the? Do you have? Because it, it, what's interesting to me is that you know he compares you to Kubrick, but then you also like the mistakes and the. the yeah, but I also feel like Kubrick, you know, was a perfectionist in a way, but also I feel like he really followed his instincts in a weird places that would be perceived as imp- imperfect a lot. Uh, that's and I also think he had an extremely anarchic spirit. Yeah. 
you know, and that's a part of him that I, that I really uh, uh, am drawn to, you know? Yeah. He was a, in a, an outsider who achieved amazing success, but he was still an outsider. Yeah, yeah. So that's the end nice. of the Panos stuff. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I loved Mandy. It will probably be my second favorite film of the year. Spoiler alert for our end of year roundup, but um, I really love Mandy. So yeah, go and watch it and then buy it on Blu-ray. There nice. we go. Jumping back to Miracle Mile for my extra. I mm-hmm. um, So back when we were, Sam and I were heading down to the recording for the Villainess audio commentary, the same... Uh, fateful journey that spawned uh, the seed of Frankenstein's creature being made into a film. It was the same day that Arrow had announced that they were going to be releasing Miracle Mile. And um, I got a call from a mutual friend of Sam and mine's, Mark Blackman, who's a director uh, in his own right, uh, saying, is there any way I can get involved in the... uh, in the um, in the special features for this, I have many things to say. Um, but by the time a film is announced for Arrow, the uh, the features are locked in. There's no way that's um, you can add anything at that point. So that wasn't to happen. Uh, but because of that, I thought I'd uh, I'd corner him for a quick chat um, about the film and what it means to him, so that we could uh, we could add a little personal nostalgia touch to the uh, to the episode. Given that Sam and I both saw it relatively late in life. Um, so this is me chatting to the lovely Mark Blackman. Hi, Mark. Thank you for joining me. Yeah. So tell me how you got in, uh, got in with Miracle Mile. Um, you first got exposed to it. James Belushi. Um, not on a personal connection in any right. capacity whatsoever. And, uh, probably could think it's a, it would have been nicer if it was John. Um, there was a film called Mr. Destiny with James Belushi and Michael Caine that is a real sort of, um, it's a wonderful life-esque remake of a, a I won't go bother going into the details of it because it's not a particularly great film, but I believe that was the film that had the trailer for Miracle Mile on the VHS copy that I rented. And as much as Mr. Destiny didn't really get much of a look in or much memory towards it, I must have watched the trailer for Miracle Mile over and over and over again. It's sort of a really ambiguous, slightly sort of artsy um, approach. It's not the same trailer as the one that you can sort of find on YouTube or, or the the blues, funnily enough. It was oh, sort really? of a, yeah, it was like a weird sort of different cut of the trailer. For um, British VHS. I, I it must have been, yeah, it must have I mean it was really ambiguous. It was sort of it had sort of the, the image of the the gun firing with the arm bursting into mm. flames. Um, I had the, had the Tangerine Dream score, obviously, but it just, I didn't know what it was, but it just looked so ferociously intense. And then I think like a week later, it came out to rent. So um, it being ridiculously young at the time, but, my, you know, having a father who's always up for just watching, you know, letting me watch completely unreasonable films. Like Mona Lisa was a huge staple of my childhood and The Hitcher. And, <laughs> you know, kind of like before I even understood what prostitution was, like Mona Lisa was, you know, one of the most sort of quoted things in our house. Um... Yeah, watch Miracle Mile. It just—it wasn't anything that I thought it was going to be. It just—it was—it was so much more. But just absolutely, just petrified me. And I fell in love with it because of the love story as well. Like it just had such a ridiculously haunting effect on me, and still has. So that yes. and that was—I don't know—eighty-eight, so eighty-nine, ninety. So I'd have been like eight or nine, I think. That's pretty cool. So. Jumping ahead, mm. you recently introduced it, is that right? I did, yeah. Um, so Sci-Fi Theatre were hosting a screening of it. Um, they do sort of like a monthly sort of sci-fi screening and they normally have a 
scientific background introduction um, by sort of science experts about something connected to the film, but I found out they were doing one for Miracle Mile and effectively hounded them to do the introduction <laughs> to it under the, um, under the, and I think correctly, under the pretense, like not to sort of talk about the science behind sort of, you know, nuclear Armageddon or, you know, nuclear paranoia, because there's sort of a, a lot of films of that ilk in the 80s, um, but more based along the lines of it being a, one of the best films, that one of the best love stories that's out there, which I genuinely, genuinely believe because it's so, um, so bleakly panic driven you know it's, it's just such a panic stricken film um and they agreed so i did i did a sort of you know probably the longest i've ever spent writing anything just to do a little 10 minute introduction to the film called love and rockets and yeah they they you know they they've never asked me back but i'm not a science but you know <laughs> there's nothing else has been like miracle mile in, in anything else they've shown but it was um it was great and steve steve um to join it did an introduction as well he videoed one in and sent loads of um storyboard art and, and uh, posters and bits and pieces. So you were the one that told me that it was on the first ever blacklist? Yes. For yeah. script. So it was up there with Total Recall and Jacob's Ladder, which is a pretty I mean, good that's first a blacklist. A, yeah. right? And for just for sort of, you know, good drama genre, you know, really, really strong. And yeah, he sold the script. It went through sort of development hell for about 10 years and sort of, I think the most famous one was it was going to be the Twilight Zone movie at one point and then they wanted to change the ending and he didn't like it. And then Paul Newman was circling it for a little while because originally it was written for a much older character. Um, he'd sort of originally written it for a Gene hackman And was the female character going to be the same? Um, no, it was, so it's, it's sort of an elderly couple because he kind of felt like that idea that they'd sort of finally reconnect and, you know, it was too late, was so much more poignant. And then in the finished version of the film, obviously uh, Julie's grandparents are kind of the last ghosting of those mm, yeah, those yeah, characters yeah. and those drafts, which is really interesting. But I'd killed to see a Gene Hackman version of it. I would have absolutely been amazing. Do you feel like it could be remade? I do. I really do. I don't know quite where it would... Because it was funny when it came out, because it sort of sat after there was you know you had um uh, uh, testament. testament and you yeah. had you know threads and you had yeah. everything because it is a thriller i mean it is a yeah. real time and i think that's sort of something that i think really works beautifully with it is it has that real sort of after hours like i, I kind of always think it sits well with obviously after hours but vamp as well i always think it's a good double yeah, bill with you know that. once everything's kind of shut and you know every, everything's locked and shuttered down it's got that sort of vibe going on but um there, yeah, there was a ver I think there was a rumor that Richard Donner was attached at one point. I don't know if that's the one that had Kurt Russell attached, but that would have been. Uh, so it, Kurt Russell was gonna. Was, he was, was yeah, rumored circling it. Nicholas Cage as well at one point, which wow. but he instead chose what to do Vampire's Kiss, which <laughs> fair you know I think it's kind of I would love to have seen it, but I'm, I'm very happy. You know, it's, it's, yeah, I'm not sure this film could have withstood that kind of Vampire's Kiss energy. That level of Nicholas Cage, I think it could have been yeah maybe a bit too. He, I think he would have frightened bombs off basically. Yeah, I think so. Acted them off the rooftop. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. So there we go. That was me chatting to the lovely Mark. Thank you to him for joining me for that yeah that was great and uh, yeah i really like it when we uh we should do more of that yeah where we get someone who's been affected by the film yeah because we uh, I, we had rosie fletcher on for carrie yeah um, i think that was last time that we did nice, something like yeah. that and that was really nice so expect more of that in the future dear sweet listener and in the future i'm gonna say one that dan and i have agreed upon doing next and i'm gonna say one that that we haven't agreed on. Oh. So our next two episodes Ooh. will be Twelve Monkeys, yes, and potentially Candyman. Yeah, is, are we going to have access to Candyman by then? I've got Candyman. You've got Candyman already. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. So yeah, 
Or Either I'll lend it to you or... I'll talk to Mike. It's yeah. That's we amazing. don't need to do this business on air. No, no, um, no everyone loves it. See yeah. behind the curtain. Behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> another extra, extra features. features. <laughs> extra features. Right, so let's do social media. Dan, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at 13fingerfx. You can see a mixture of dog pictures mostly and then occasional retweets about grumpy political stuff. I often wonder. Stuff. I, I, I often <laughs> wonder if people like switch off at this point, like when they get to the social media, if they're like, "Oh, it's just the good." Should we start shit. burying some? Yeah, burying some like fun. deep cuts. You've got to listen to the end because otherwise, it's going to just hang around in your uh, your podcast queue. Exactly, and this is where we're going to plan our revolution. So um, <laughs> now we've lost all the losers. All right, everyone, meet around mine. Bring sharp sticks and shotguns. Oh, they're harder to get hold of. Well. Make the effort. <laughs> yeah, we don't want any lazy revolutionaries. If you can't put in the basic effort. And with that in mind, you should follow me on Twitter. It doesn't take that much effort. Uh, I am at Sam Ashurst, S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T. And you should also like and subscribe and leave us a review and all that kind of stuff. And you should also follow Fright Night Club at Fright Night Club on Twitter. Oh, thanks, Sam. This is still relevant, isn't it? Because it's mid-October. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is all, there's, there's big big things going on, but it's uh, there'll be announcements coming up. Cool. I do a couple of little shouts to things. Um, Await Further Instructions, which I did the effects for, has just landed on VOD in the States. Check that out. Mm. Lords of Chaos is playing at LFF and Sitches at the moment. They may, the Sitches screening will definitely have happened by the time this goes up. The LFF stuff might still be to come. But yeah, check out Lords of Chaos. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's a few others as well that I've done that are sort of floating about. Yeah, people saw Lords of Chaos this week in the LFF previews. Yeah, and I saw some very positive things. Yeah, yeah, people are people are being very kind to it. That's yeah. nice. I can't wait to be able to discuss that more openly. That's mm. very exciting. Awesome. Right. Well, um, I think that's about it. Thank you so much for listening, and we promise to be more professional next time. Or at least more awake. Well, I'm not promising that. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.